This show is brought to you in part by the Iron Range Resources and Rehabilitation. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. I'm your host, Paul Metza. There have been over a half a dozen books written about the history of the Minneapolis music scene over the last few years, but the one I was most excited to read was Lemon Jail, On the Road with the Replacements. I'm honored to have Bill Sullivan, the author of the book, with me in the studio tonight. Besides working with the replacements, Bill has also managed tours for Soul Asylum, Yola Tango, Nico Case, the new pornographers, Kano Orburst, and blues legend Jimmy Vaughn, just to name a few. Bill and I have also known each other for years and were also neighbors for a while in the early 1990s. Without any further ado, I'd like to welcome my guest, Bill Sullivan. Bill, thanks for being here. Paul, thanks for having me, man. This uh, was really an incredible book. I read it in one, uh, I started about two in the morning the other night and uh, couldn't put it down. I, I, I buzzed right through it. When uh, did you get the idea to write the book? Uh, the Minnesota tradition of the cold-ass winter. <laughs> you know, you're laying there and the heat's not keeping up with the rattle of the windows. And right. I'm like, I got to do something with my life. I got I to gotta have another idea. <laughs> so I, I put a Kickstarter into the computer, you know. The only thing that was working in my apartment was the Internet, you know. So, mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, people people latched onto it. You know, a bunch of amazing people started encouraging me and latching onto it and helping me. And, and it's put out by the University of Minnesota Press, which is a great institution. Really the most wonderful people. They... You know, the way they can nurture some, a 57-year-old baby like me. <laughs> but yeah, it was amazing. They, they came to me and said, you know, Eric Anderson is the editor. He came to me uh, at the tap in, uh, on, uh, on 48th in Chicago, there, okay. the Town Hall tap. And he pitched a book that, you know, was more than I had expected to do. But... He, he told me he was confident I could do it from what he had read that I gave him, that he had, you know, had seen. So, yeah, I mean, and, and it's amazing. It's, it was cool. Well, it's really honest. It's a very honest book, and it's a really behind-the-scenes look at, uh, at, you know, rock and roll, a first-hand account. When did you uh, start working with the replacements? When did you start working with them, and when did you hear them for the first time? Oh, that is good. Uh, so I, I moved back to Minneapolis from college in 81, 80. And my friend Tom Carlson from junior high, I ran into him down at a, I was into music at a punk show of some sort. And then he got me a job at the Walker Arts Center. And then he said, you have to come see this band. This is like the greatest band yet. And so I, I it was like right around then I, I went to see them play and it was it was it was immediate you know like immediate into your face. Do you, you know? remember where the gig was? It had to have been the Longhorn. Okay. Maybe remember when they had those Wednesday nights where the beer was free, mm -hmm. Tiger Night they called it or something. <laughs> and Lori Barbero was slinging the right. suds to everybody at the. I just got a beer for about a month ago at the Hook and Ladder. <laughs> she still do. I love that. I love Lori. Yeah. Yeah, I went to high school. Well, I didn't go to high school with Lori because I'm not sure Lori was in high school, but she was around when right. I was in high school. <laughs> well, she was like you, Bill Sullivan. She is, uh, there's so many really fascinating, col colorful characters, especially in the music scene, as you well know, because you are one. Um, but uh, people that, you know, everybody knows the bands, uh, but people like you and Lori Barbera, of course, Lori had her own band, Babes in Toyland, and Monty Wilkes, our good friend, who, who I want to talk about in a bit, uh, one of the world's greatest sound men and greatest rac raconteurs I've ever known. The guy could tell a story and spin a yarn. <laughs> so, but anyway, getting back to, uh, you, so you saw the replacements and you had immediate connection with them. Yeah, I had been working. I also went to high school with this, this cat, Dale Goulet, who had, was limited warranty in limited warranty, <laughs> right. right? And he did. He also worked for Peter Himmelman, 
Right. And when Peter Hillen was the best friends of like my best friend in high in high school, the guy who had the locker. You know, when you go to high school the first day and there's a dude in the locker next to you. Right. And so you have this unbelievable, all of a sudden he's your pal. Right. You got no choice. Gotta be, right. No <laughs> choice. His name was, you know, Al Sussman and he was Peter Hillman's good buddy. So I had been listening to Is Peter. Is that where Sussman Lawrence came from? Right. So, really? Yeah, he named his band after this kid. <laughs> So he, they actually hired me to be a roadie at the first, that was the first roadie gigs I ever did. You know, Dale was like, why don't you come and we got gigs in St. Cloud and whatnot. And the great thing is none of those guys drank. And so I would just take the case of beer home. <laughs> I'd get like 50 bucks in the case of beer. There you go. And I'd just drive their, their stuff up in the truck and drive, help set it up, tear it down. And, uh, and all those guys went on to be, you know, something. Oh, all yeah. All those Sussman Lawrence guys, you know. Yeah. And, uh. So, well, in, in limited warranty, ended limited up warranty, on star they search won the stars. They won the yeah. star search, yeah. Was, uh, With Ed McMahon. So, replacements in limited warranty did a gig at the Kaufman Grant, the hall. Together? The, yeah, it was a benefit to, um, uh, to an organization that was trying to stop selective service from going into effect. I'm like, well, here, this is money well spent. <laughs> <laughs> right. Good luck. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was totally weird because you know they're they're all in their their David Byrne suits, right, right, and uh, like one of their moms had made for them or something like that, <laughs> and we're like you know we got like you know stained, right, right, <laughs> flannel shirts, <laughs> yeah, it's like, but yeah, hey, it's right, a gig's a gig, right. So how did you end up working for the replacements? I went. I just started going to shows, and I was a fan, and and I made myself omnipresent, and I I sometimes helped if I could, and I just kept telling Paul that I was I was I knew how to be a tech, and I could tune guitars, I could do this, I could do that. None none of it was true. I no. <laughs> And I don't know. Um, I mean, That's the beauty of rock and roll, though. There's no background <laughs> checks. Man, man, you fake it till you make it. There's no background <laughs> checks, man. You just like. And uh, I literally, like, the first day I tried to string a guitar, I, I did it, like, backwards. Cause I was, <laughs> you know, I, but I became competent at it. You know, I was right. not terrible my whole life. It didn't take long. It's not the rocket science that people would give it to. Right. But, I mean, um, you learn what your what the artist wants, and you you facilitate that. Mm -hmm. you know? As long as it's the way they want it, they're going to be happy. Right. And uh, it. Uh, so he just he he took me on. I suspect now. I think I said in the book, my brother Dave lived in Hoboken, and uh, Jesperson had only arranged enough sleeping arrangements for like Paul, Tommy, and himself. Right. Peter Jesperson. Yeah. Peter's was the, the manager. Great, the great manager of the replacements. Yeah. And uh, but I I kind of discovered him too. Oh yeah yeah he just totally discovered me. Paul brought I mean the, all those it's a real it's a fairy tale story about the um you know you know they, they brought in the tape and he sits in the bushes outside the the old house on Bryant uh, on Aldrich Avenue whatever and listens to them jamming in the basement. Right. So it's uh it's it's Cameron Crowe. Right. <laughs> right. He couldn't write a better script than than the replacements in many ways, but. Uh, yeah, Paul, they just said yes. I suspect it was because I was able to house Bob and Chris and myself and, you know, at my brother's apartment. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I suspect that they, like, looked at, that, that uh, Paul wanted me to come, I think, and uh, I think Peter looked and said, oh, this will solve that housing problem we have <laughs> for that week in New York. Because yeah. the whole tour was just to go to New York and... Um, for Folk City. It was all about music for dozens, which Ira right. Kaplan and the New York rocker guys all booked this night. And all the great bands, you know, Sonic Youth and whatnot, right. played this Wednesday night, whatever, music for dozens at Folk City, where they showcased the new music. Well, and that was, was you know, that I actually did, did my New York City debut there in June of 96. And uh, but what was interesting about the music for dozens and even the night I played, I think it was, might have been part of the new music seminar, was Folk City was the folk club on West Third, right across from the Blue Note. And then all of a sudden, uh, ten years later, well, twenty years later, you know, I think Folk City actually opened in '61 at that location. '61. But then you have Sonic Youth, the Replacements, yeah. and you guys had Marshall Stacks, right? 
Yeah, it was it was the Del Lords, the Del Lords. Yeah, the Del Fuegos. Right. Who I loved. I mean, I was a big right. fan of the Del Fuegos. Too bad they didn't have Del Shannon on too. <laughs> It was the Dell Mats. <laughs> yeah. And literally, I mean, I try to tell the story, and I know every, everyone's told this story kind of ad nauseum, sort of a famous gig, but, yeah, we had, like, the Marshall Stacks and all that, and, uh, uh, you know, these other bands, Del Fuegos and Del Lords, they're cool dudes, but they were, they were, they knew what they were doing, like, they right. were trying to get popular. Right. Where we were not. Right, <laughs> and, right. Uh, so, <laughs> and what that happened... That kind of takes the pressure off, though, doesn't it? <laughs> You, you tell yourself that, yeah. <laughs> so they, uh, I th what happened was that, you know, Carton, my buddy from junior high, who was the other roadie, he was staying with his girlfriend's sister in Manhattan, and they had a parking space for the gear in the van. Because, as you know, everyone's trying to steal your stuff. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. Every minute. Right. Wherever you are. Right. Someone is thinking of stealing yourself, <laughs> right? Right. So anyway, he went into one of these ramps in New York, and it, which was, it turns out, is, are these parking, it's easy enough, but getting out sometimes right. is screwed up because they got cars parked freaking everywhere. Yeah, right. And they got the George Costanza with the keys, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so right. we were, like, way late, too, right, you know? Right. And, like, everybody was already bailing on the idea, like, the the... the Powers that be were already like, hey Paul, you'll just play acoustic. Paul, will you right. just play acoustic? And Paul was like, I'm not. He's like, right. replacements are playing at Folk City or nothing else. Is right, 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 right. Bill Sullivan, author of Lemon Jail on the Road with replacements on Wall of Power Radio all night. Number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities gay scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. Hi, Matt McNeil for Rudy Luther Toyota. My first Toyota love was the RAV4 back in 1998. When I was traveling in February, I needed a rental car, and I jumped at the opportunity to drive one again. The RAV4 is fantastic with all the bells and whistles you need, and it has all the modern safety features to keep us safe. Comfort as we vacationed. It fit all five of us and our luggage with ease. I was able to revisit my first love. Now, you can fall in love for yourself by test driving a RAV4 today at Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169. Saturdays at 1 p.m., you have a chance at a fresh start, a new beginning. Hi, everybody. This is Freddie Bell, host of New Beginnings. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, spirituality, and even entertainment. Every day is a chance for a fresh start. Join us Saturdays at 1 p.m. for New Beginnings with Freddie Bell on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I'm Fouad Reves, a home builder. Did you know there's a deadly, invisible radioactive gas that can seep into homes from underground? It's radon. Breathing radon can cause lung cancer. So protect your family. Talk to your builder. Tell them you want a healthier, safer, radon-resistant home. Learn more. Visit the EPA at epa.gov radon. That's epa.gov radon. This public service announcement is brought to you by the EPA, who does not endorse this particular builder or any other commercial enterprise. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Kevin Ross here, inviting you to our brand new store called Ambibulous. What does Ambibulous mean? It means one who enjoys alcoholic beverages of all sorts. Ambibulous is a Minnesota maker's market. Unlike traditional liquor stores, we feature only craft beer, wine, 
and spirits made here in Minnesota. We are ready to guide your selections where you can build your own four or six packs. Find us at 949 Hennepin Avenue East in Northeast Minneapolis or online at ambibulousmn.com. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzler. Our conversation with Bill Sullivan, voting for the replacements and author of Lemon Jail, continues. He picks up from the first segment where he was talking about the replacements' first gig at Folk City in Greenwich Village. And, you know, it showed up and they were loud and, and everybody hated it. It was... Well, it's not, it wasn't that big of a room. No, it was a very small room. Yeah. It was a very small room. And they, without the... They really didn't, you really didn't get a sound check there anyway. Right. I mean, but with just the throw and go, it was it was kind of un, it was uncomfortable for everyone. You know what, Bill? I bet you you ran into him over the years. But the night I played, the guy I went there the night before because I was like to scope out the gig. You know, if I can the night before I play. So I went there and I think Suzanne Vega was playing. But for some reason, he knew who I was. He was the sound guy, and he'd also worked the door. Was Pat Denizio? Yes. And then the Smithereens about a year later really started to. Who blow we lost up. again this year? Right? Yeah, Pat, yeah, Pat was a great guy. We we yeah. became great friends. Yeah, well, everybody time. was everybody you met back then was somebody eventually, right. and it's unbelievable. I mean, people all the time. Like I worked festivals for the this promoter that does like Lollapalooza and ACL and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And my friend got me the gig, and I, I was pretty innocuous gig. I liked it, it was high pain. Right, <laughs> and right. No one really. I didn't. I, I made more money than I did at tour managing, and I just lived in a hotel off the festival site, and just and right. it was kind of. A, and uh, so it's a good gig. I mean, you work your ass off. Right. It's a good gig, and uh, eventually they started like the 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 owner of the of the production company was like. Why? Why does everybody have to come and talk to you when they come backstage? And they're like, "Well, that's just—I know that guy. I know those guys from, you know, right, from, right, you know, because everybody became somebody, right, 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 right. All that that crew of people that was putting on '80s music around the world. I mean, it's—it's it's really incredible. Well, I remember, and you wrote about it in your book, uh, Lemon Jail, the show at Navy Island with REM, and it was the replacements, REM, and who else? was Let's on active. Game? Yeah. Mitch Easter, yeah. Yeah, the Mitch Easter. I remember Michael Stipe came on. It was like freaking 90 degrees. It was like July, and he came on with like a parka and a you know sweater. And it was like, what the hell are you thinking? He was, well, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me on the R.E.M. tour is like, I had this like car, Carhartt kind of shirt from right. a thrift store, and uh, the sleeve got caught on something and got ripped, so I just pulled like the sleeve off right. and threw it away and kept doing the gig. And like after the show, Michael Stipe goes, "I really like your shirt." <laughs> so I like wore that shirt for like a month. <laughs> so when you you know you got some great stories, Bill Sullivan, in your book Lemon Jail about the gigs in New York City. Yeah. So tell us about some. You played Danceteria. Danceteria. Where else? Uh, well, CBGBs quite a bit. The thing about the the stories with like CBGBs is like I. I would have had to write 10 CBGB stories right. to somehow put the, all everything that's happened in there. Right. So I just sort of, like for CBGBs and the Rat and some of these places, it's kind of just all the events sort of. Right. You know what I mean? It's, I basically followed one storyline, but I kind of tried to throw in some of the other right. things that happened. And I couldn't even touch. I was talking to Chris Mars at a coffee shop and. I was telling him about the book and I was telling him about the CBGB's problem. And he goes, oh, like that time the guy showed up, the guy came in with the shotgun. And I was like, <laughs> well, see now that story. Right. I was right. like, I don't really, I don't have a story for that because I go, I remember the guy came, he had the shotgun under his coat, like, you know, mobster film. Right. And he, he turns and he, he goes in the club, but we were like loading out on the Bowery at right. three in the morning. There was junkies, thieves, right. animals. I mean, like, it's, it, was, it was, you know, it was a zombie Isn't that movie. a share song? Yeah. <laughs> my, fa you ever, my favorite review of, uh, you know that movie Escape from New York, Kurt Russell? Oh, I loved it. Great movie. Yeah. My favorite review was this guy's like, I went to see this movie to review it, and my friend turned to me halfway through and said, this is supposed to be the future, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's happening right now. Really kind of hard. Yeah, <laughs> right. So anyway, that um, 
So I don't know what happened really with the shotgun. I, I know the guy. I saw the guy. He was going in. He had the shotgun clearly under his coat. Right. Something wrong was going to happen. <laughs> but you just try. You know, you can't leave an amp for a second. Right. It's gone. You had to get everything. Right. And we we're like, get in the van because let's go somewhere where there's no shotguns. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because so I never could make that a story. I just right. never. And my editor Eric was like, this is like a good one. He goes, you, you got to make it a better story though. And I never. Right. Sometimes you just got. I just had to bail on some of these stories and take them out, you right. know, or try to mix them in. Like, well, I said. when you were doing the the book, Bill, did you, like you said, you you chatted with Chris Morris? Did you contact a lot of the other people you rub shoulders with over the years? I, I to really refresh your memory. I really didn't, unless it just happened. Right. And uh, mostly then, when I like with like Mike Bosley, who was one of our sound guys for. Uh, you know, he had he was in the brunettes with Mark Olson. Remember okay, Mark yeah. Olson's early yeah, band? yeah, yeah. And Bosley was like the first professional sound man we had. We didn't even have one for it, but he only did a short tour, and then Lloyd Cole hired him away. Hmm. But uh, uh, he did a pretty. It was pretty pivotal the sh the tour he did because it was the West Coast and the South, really when the band was was breaking up. So it was good that he was there and stuff like that. And he was he was recanting some stories to me. Of shows he was there, I go, yeah, well, that, that story's in the book, but you're not really in it, man. I mean, <laughs> right, right, right. Like, you want to be in the stories, man. You got to go write a book. You know? Yeah, I was right. like, you know, it's, I, no offense, but I don't know what you were thinking or seeing at the time. You right. Know? I would, I'm just writing about what I was thinking and seeing at the time. And if you happen to be in the periphery, that you know, right. I'm not in the business of promoting your brand, but right, right, right. <laughs> well, you know, you you were there damn near at the, you know. The, the genesis of the replacements. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's the really early stuff, but you know. But uh, what was it about? Anybody who says they were at the Regina High School gig, right, is a liar. Right, <laughs> right. There's no way you went to a girls' high school for their dance, right, and watched the replacements. Right. There's no way. Right, right. Screw you. You weren't there. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, what um, what really attracted? you about the band uh that it was immediate it, they were immediate man like you know um well actually i, first, I remember reading a, a early review of them calling them eclectic and i thought they misspelled electric really i was like <laughs> <laughs> right. that was my uh right high school education was, <laughs> but uh you know i really think you know the on the on that first record sorry ma right mm-hmm Everybody, like right now, everybody talks about how much they hate Trump. And mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, bold. Get out on right. the ledge with that one, man. Right, right. Really? You think Trump's a dick? Right. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it was Reagan then. Everybody, right. it was all, everybody hated Reagan. And all this, you know, and all, and replacements were like, you know, raised in the city, ready to run, cruise the lake, fun, fun, fun. Right. You know, buy a car, maybe rent a home. Um... I was like, this. This was me. This is me. I was like, this is cool. I want to. I want to rent a home. I want to buy a car. I want right. to cruise the lake. I want to have fun, fun, fun. You know, <laughs> right? You know, like, this is more, you know, reasonable to me. More immediate. You know, mm -hmm. I think you could tell. I mean, it, I don't know if I have an innate sense. I, I would never say that I. But I. I don't know, man. When I like with when you can tell, when you see it. Bill Sullivan, replacements roadie and author of Lemon Jail on the Ball of Power Radio Hour after these messages. Well, a person can work up a mean, mean thirst after a hard day of nothing much at all. The summer's past, it's too late to cut the grass. The two gingers just can't get enough of Paul Metza. He's smooth, yet strong, a great mixer and very refreshing. The two gingers are his biggest fans. They're at practically every bar, club and restaurant in Minnesota to see his shows. And now they've taken to following Paul around the country. Texas, New York, Nebraska. You never know where you may find the two gingers. Just ask the bartender for them. Two gingers whiskey. What could happen? 
The number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities gay scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. Hi, this is Gregory Rich from Habitation Furnishing and Design, and I'd like you to tune in to a new program, Drink in the Style. Sundays at 5 p.m., Drink in the Style is going to be a one-hour conversation about interior design and aesthetics, all while enjoying a cocktail created by a local mixologist. Drink in the Style, Sundays at 5 p.m., brought to you by Habitation Furnishing and Design. The Spring St. Paul Art Crawl, presented by the St. Paul Art Collective, will be running April 27th, 28th, and 29th. This is a must-do experience that you will love. Over the weekend, you'll have the chance to explore a wide variety of art while touring through local artist studios, lofts, and galleries. Hosting over 350 artists, up for purchase will be paintings, photography, pottery, sculpture, fiber arts, and more. The Art Crawl sprawls over 34 locations. Join the Art Crawl and discover outstanding art for you to own. When you buy local art, you're providing to artists so that they may continue to create the art we love. The Metro Transit is supporting the local art community with free transit passes. Download your pass to ride buses and light rail for free during the Art Crawl. Be sure to get details at thesaintpaulartcrawl.org. That's thesaintpaulartcrawl.org. Atheists Talk is the radio show for free-thinking Minnesotans. Listen on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. Every Sunday we bring you science, philosophy, politics, and plain old fun from an atheist point of view. Visit our website at minnesotaatheists.org for more details. Tune in to Atheists Talk Radio Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's good radio without the good book. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Hunter Haas. Tonight, clear with a low around 36. Sunday, beautiful day, sunny with a high near 70. And Monday, chance of showers, partly sunny with a high near 82. Each season, the St. Paul Art Crawl has hosted dozens of locations throughout the city, hundreds of artists exhibiting and selling their artwork. Visitors are welcome into galleries, artist studios, and unique spaces. Find out more at stpaulartcrawl.org. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Bar. This is your host, Paul Metz, and we are speaking with Bill Sullivan, legendary replacements roadie and author of Lemon Jail on the Road with Replacements. I asked Bill if he had an ear for talent. I don't know if I have an innate sense. I would never say that I, but I, I don't know, man. When, I, like with, when you can tell, when you see it, like when Connor Obers came to my club, the four hundred. Yeah, the four hundred. I hired uh, this band, Lullaby for the Working Class from Omaha, which was Mike Mogus, Ted Stevens, uh, uh, Tiffany, a lot of Bright Eyes, Good Life. All of them went on to have like all of them went on to have you know. And Mike Mogus is the great producer of all of these bands. Mm -hmm. And I had seen them on tour on a night off a couple times and. It's like, I want to have this band, but, you know, they're not going to draw a lot of people. Right. And so it's, I got to get them up from Omaha. I got to make this happen. It's not going to be blockbuster. They're like, can we bring the opening act? I'm like, sure. So they bring Connor Oberst up, but I don't know. I have no idea who the hell Connor Oberst is, you know. He sits down at a, you know, a clavinet, whatever it was, electric piano, and he's basically got, like, the good life backing him up, and he just and opens his mouth, and I was just like, oh, here we go again. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, you know right away. I mean, there's mm -hmm. no distinction between, I mean, there's a lot of talented people, and there's a lot of good music, and so, yeah, but there's some people that just write, and Paul Westerberg, of course, is just one of those guys, man. Yeah. I didn't know it then, but when you, when I, what I was hearing... Right, you was could what, feel it. Well, yeah, what everybody's talking about now, you know? Yeah. I mean, it... it uh, it was a, it was it was fun, man. I mean, I, I I was a kid. I don't know. I'm I'm not that smart. So I mean, I just assumed that um, that's what life was like. Uh, right. Uh, 
uh, we were they were. I immediately meet a great rock band. I get to go on. To, you know, we're going to go on tour. We're going right. to be big stars. Well, you know what, was, what? What I really enjoyed about your book, Bill, I enjoyed all of it really. But man, you really put the reader in the in the van next. You know, in the seat in the van next to you because you guys really work your ass off. Yeah. I mean, that, this, is, this, this, this was not child's play. No. Playing these gigs, sleeping four to a room, if you got a room, um, you know, uh, shitty food, uh, you know, ill-attended gigs at times, uh, hostile audiences, but, uh, <laughs> but yet you, 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 you maintain, you kept it going. Yeah, you keep it with good humor, man. You yeah. have to just... Uh, you have to be above the fray, right? Right. I mean, it, it it is it is, you know, Mars. When Chris Mars read the book, he he had a couple of notes. He said, "I have a couple of notes. Right. If you could, <laughs> right." Very generous about it. Yeah, I go. Oh yeah, no problem. He goes. First one. He goes. The stink bomb story. You say it was my idea, but it was really Bob and my idea. <laughs> right. And I was like, well. I go, that's kind of a big story. I have to kind of rewrite the whole thing to right. make it Bob's idea too. So I tell the story to the to the audience. The stink bomb story. Yes, yeah. that's a seller of the book, man. No, uh, <laughs> it's hard to tell it because it's long. In the but Mars um, and Bob bought you know these the morning breeze. Remember the joke shops, magic yeah. shops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were every I mean, every right. town had like a joke shop or a magic. Right. It's like three card Monty guys. You never see them anymore. Right. You never see these joke shops. Or right. But um, I guess you could buy your jokes. You buy your uh, fake vomit on the online. Now. Right. But, right. 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 So they bought the morning breeze capsules that may, uh, supposed to smell like farts. Right. But it really smells like the stuff they put in the gas line to make you know that you had gas. Right. <laughs> you know? Like rotten eggs. Yeah, like rotten eggs. So they brought, they were like, yeah, in, at the Rock, we were at the Roxy in L.A. I mean, kind of a big gig. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and Mars like, yeah, I want you to talk, roll these out under the skankers during the show. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Like, yeah. So he gave them to me, and I was like, really? And so through the entire show, Mars... <laughs> And Bob, I do remember now after Mars reminded me that Bob, they kept looking at me through the whole show. <laughs> you know? And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then Bob Forrest of Theolonious Monster like sticks his head through the curtain that I was behind tuning in the guitars, literally like Topo Gijo or something. He's like, hey, need anything? <laughs> I, was like, you know, I was like, Bob wants you to roll these out under the, under the audience. And he's like, okay. <laughs> And about five minutes later, the place just becomes unbreathable. I mean, it's just, and people are running for the exits. And Westerberg looks at Bob and Chris, and they're laughing, and and he he's just pissed. Right. He looks at me, and I'm just like trying to pretend like I got nothing to do with it, you know? Like right. Stand there, and he just looks, at, and then Bob Forrest sticks his head through the curtain again. Is that good? And he looks, he's, and, and he sees he sees Westerberg, and he goes, "Whoops!" <laughs> <laughs> he disappears. It was, uh, but nowadays, you know, something like that would be a very um, bad thing to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you'd be you'd be on a post office wall for doing that crap. Now. Well, and not only were you a roly, but but uh, you made quite a few appearances singing tunes, Alice Cooper stuff. Alice and, Cooper, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I. They like Paul liked me to get up stage and and sing. Like I think it just it really just started because everything was always breaking. Right. So I was constantly trying out there crawling around trying to get something to work, which I, I admittedly I was not a great road. I was not a technical mind in right. many ways. But you know a lot of it is you go with the basic thing. It, uh, is the guitar cable not working? Right. You start at the most basic. Right. And then you work your way up to, right. a, to a serious overall of any kind of amplifier. Right. right. It's usually, but you know as a musician, yeah. it's usually the most right. basic thing. And sometimes you just take your bandana, like even last night the band... And it's usually the cheapest thing. Yeah. Right. You can have $2,500 worth of guitars and amps and yeah. it's the freaking 99 cent 9 volt. Yeah. This yeah. Oh, the 9 volt batteries are like the... Yeah, jacking it all up. The batteries are like the... 
they're, they're, it's unbelievable how many batteries you, you got to have on hand at all <laughs> freaking times. It's like, right. but you know, the replacements didn't really use pedals. You know, I mean, I know musicians mo will probably mock me any, anything I say about I me, mean, but they, they, Paul and Bob could make that sound, those sounds, with that sh with sheer volume, right? And 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 power. I mean, the, the power, the way those guys held guitars and right. turned them. You know what I mean? It, uh, they never really had any pedals until Slim, of course. Mm -hmm. Slim had the like the Frankenstein of pedal, right? Like, Slim Dunlap, some yeah. like Slim Dunlap. It's like the, this creation, right? I one I I studied it every day. He would come in and put it together, and he, he was like. I don't need any, don't help me with this bill. This is my. Please don't help please me. Please don't help me. You know? <laughs> so I watched him every day without him knowing it, basically. Watched and watched and watched him. And then finally, like halfway through that first tour, he came in and I had it all set up. And uh, he looks at it, takes off, looks around, takes off his jean jacket like he always did, hangs it on the amp, and looks at it again, he looks around, and he, and he walks over and he takes like one cable and pulls it out and puts it in a different thing and he looks then he kind of looks over and he goes you were close <laughs> i was like screw you man that cable that cable can go in either one of those it's the same box either one of those do the same thing <laughs> that's fantastic well you know um bob stinson he and i just got to be buddies because we'd we had our days off, you know, musicians, and we'd, and we'd hang out, and we'd keep bumping into each other in guitar stores and record stores. Yeah. And uh, he was such, you know, everybody, all, you know, we all know the Bob stories and, and the dark stories, but he was really, could be a really sweet guy. Oh, he was too. a very sweet man. When he, he was a very sweet man. And gentle. Very gentle, yeah. He, I mean, I, 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 I don't know, Bob, he, he was... He was and he really wanted to be a rock star. He was really a catalyst of pushing that band yeah. forward. Mars, I remember Mars telling me that he met Bob by um, he would be in his he was in his house in his bedroom playing guitar, and several days in a row there was this tow-headed kid sitting down on the street on his bicycle listening to him play guitar. So eventually he he taught he ran into this kid and talked to him and it was Bob and, he, and said I want you to come over you know. Cause and and jam, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and like just like with Tommy, Bob, like he shoved sticks in Chris's hand, you know? right? Shoved a bass into Tommy's right. hand, and right. this is what's gonna happen, you know. Mm -hmm. and he had it all planned out, you know. Right. And uh, he was he was a rock star, man. Yeah, he straight up, was. man. He was, you know. Sometimes they burn really brightly in really weird ways, and I remember, in fact, the, the opening of my book, Blue Guitar Highway. It's, it opens with the last time I saw Bob at Garage Door at Twenty Sixth and Nicollet. And we always had nice little conversations. You know, we trade guitars. We're in the guitar store and talk about this and that. And um, we didn't, you know, talk a lot. We didn't need to because we just kind of understood where we were at. But we always enjoyed each other's company. And so he said, well, what have you been up to? And I said, well, it was 1992. I said, I just got back from Nashville. I said, I went down there. I thought I was going to make a, a good folk record, but I think it made a pretty, pretty great rock and roll record, actually, Bob. And he'll never forget, man, he crosses his arms like this, and he looks out onto the street, he kind of like, you know, Buddha, and he goes, just goes to show you, Elvis was right all along. <laughs> <laughs> he was the king. Yeah. Of the misnomer line, yeah. what do you call it? He used to say, like I said, he used to, I was like, pissed off, and I was like, I'm fucking tired of this, I'm going home, I'm off this damn tour, and Bob's like, Bill, what do you think would have happened if the Who's roadies quit? <laughs> Yeah, right. I was like, I don't freaking know, Bob. I'm like, right. I want a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. I'm hungry. But yet, it's a great point, though. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, God bless him. Well, you, um, what was happening? Like, you know, they, uh, the uh, replacements, of course, were beloved in uh, in Minneapolis as well as Who's Could Do and there's always that thing about you know you either like Who's Could Do or the replacements and I, I dug them both um, Who's Could Do was a little more reliable in terms of going you know you're gonna they were a, a well oil machine where occasionally you'd, you'd go to see the replacements and it would just end up to be kind of a, a drunken free-for-all which was kind of the beauty of it but they started to really uh, 
was it the Village Voice cover, or when did the replacements really start to get onto the national consciousness? Oh, yeah, the Village Voice article was the, for sure, the uh, R.J. Smith. Okay. A good guy, a good, good writer. Um, he traveled with the band. I think it really blew them up in Minneapolis, too. I mean, there was, like you said, there was the the Husker fans, and the, there was kind of two things. They they called, The Husker fans had a nickname, right? Didn't they have a... Um, they were called, like, the... I can't remember what it was, but... Uh, the Replacements fans were more of a... They were there, but they weren't always admitting it. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know? right. But you always saw the same people, but they didn't, you know... Um, it was too hard to argue with people about whether it was a good band or not because right. some people didn't think so. Right. But so that that Village Voice when R.J. Smith wrote that, you know, and it was also kind of it was similar to the Bob Meir book in in sort of it was going down with the replacements and right. it was a lot about you know just all the fumbling that the band was fumbling into stardom, you know, stum right. stumbling into success. Right. Uh, falling back asward somehow in some way. Right. You know. More with Bill Sullivan and his great new book, Lemon Jail, On the Road with Replacements, on the Wall of Power Radio Hour, after these messages. The two gingers just can't get enough of Paul Metza. He's smooth, yet strong, a great mixer and very refreshing. The Two Gingers are his biggest fans. They're at practically every bar, club, and restaurant in Minnesota to see his shows. And now they've taken to following Paul around the country. Texas, New York, Nebraska. You never know where you may find the Two Gingers. Just ask the bartender for them. Two Gingers Whiskey. What could happen? Robert Burrill here, host of the show Laughing Matters, brought to you as always by Stand Up Records. Check them out online at standuprecords.com. Laughing Matters is now on Saturdays from 7 to 8 p.m., and the show will be pre-taped, which means that I can swear and say words like and as always, it'll feature some of the funniest comedians in the Twin Cities talking about the latest news and current events, and it's an hour of nonstop laughs you won't want to miss. And it's only on AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Hi, friends. I've been talking to you about Minnesota's first green cemetery, Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. It's an entirely new way of looking at our last earthly step. Burials are designed to have as little impact on the environment as possible. For many of us, a continuation of the commitment we made during our lifetimes. Let me suggest you go to the website, mngreengraves.com. Explore what it is. Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. It's a lovely place, a peaceful place. Minnesota's first green cemetery. Victor's 1959 Cafe in South Minneapolis is a locally owned and operated restaurant offering traditional Cuban food. Open for breakfast and lunch daily with dinner Tuesday through Saturday. For night shift workers, Victor's even has both a morning and evening happy hour. And Victor's now accepts dinner reservations too. Stop in and try some delicious authentic Cuban cuisine like ropa vieja and seafood paella. Make your reservation and learn more at victors1959cafe.com. Victor's 1959 Cafe, revolutionary Cuban cooking. Hi, this is Ken Haglin, president of Minnesota Hospice, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on AM 950 on Saturdays from noon to one. Our team from Minnesota Hospice will be discussing Lifting the Veil, Revealing the Spiritual Truth About Dying and Death, where we share insights on the many spiritual aspects of this universal experience. Please join us Saturday from noon to one for the new Minnesota Hospice show and learn more about us online at minnesotahospice.com. Why must the world be so cold? They've gone against what was told. Thinking rape is cool? Think about it. They think it's not wrong. Violence against women? The rape? The abuse? The emotional? Physical? They all hold the hate. Think about it. Is it right or wrong? What attracts you? I'm not saying no names, but you laugh. Talk about it like nothing is wrong? Think about it. They all hold the hate? Gotta stop the violence. Stop the hate? Think about it. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. The show tonight is brought to you in part by Iron Range Resources and Rehabilitation and also by Bourbons and Bows, a great hair salon on 13th and University in Northeast Minneapolis. We're back talking with Bill Sullivan. 
Brody for The Replacements, author of Lemon Jail. We started talking about the last Replacements book that was released by Bob Merrick called Trouble Boys, The True Story of The Replacements. What do you think that was? Because Mer- Mer's, I remember actually when Bob Merrick came to write, uh, in the town, right, uh, doing his research for Trouble Boys, and actually Monty Wilkes introduced him to me at the 400. This must have been five six years ago, I guess, when he started it. He was stalking me at the 400. I was on tour. Was he? He was there every day trying to, in, in case I came back from tours. I'm just saying that when I when I tell people my stories and then they rewrite them into the subtext of their book or their theories, they lose a little bit of what I think they are. Right. Know? These are oral stories. You know, like, I'm, I'm not... Uh, this whole or, the whole oral craze for books right now. Right. You know, I, I'm, I mean, this is these are oral stories. This is what I... This is... All my stories have been honed by, like I wrote the book, I'd be just, like I said, I was sitting, I'd be sitting at the bar and the bartender would say something and, and I'd remember right. a story and, I, and I'd tell him the story and if he got a reaction out of him that I liked, you know, I'd, I'd pull out the iPhone, right. I'd write the story and I'd send it to my uh, pub, editor, to my editor yeah. and I'd say, let's work this into something and... Uh, you know, this is, I think this is something. And, you know, he'd be like, God damn right, this is something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 my editor was young, so what get, got, I, was, I went in when I first in. It was like, all myth to him and yeah, legend, right? when I gave him, like, the first draft or whatever, and he, like, after he read it, he, and I went to his office, and he's like, he goes, man, this book is going to rip. <laughs> and I was like, that's good, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Bill, I guess uh, I need to ask you, where did you get the title from? I get the lemon jail. Yes. Um, first of all, that title. You know Tom Surowitz, the oh, yeah. great Minneapolis music writer. Yeah. Droll mother. Yeah. Uh, I. He said, "I heard you want to write a book." And I was like, "Yeah." I go, "Yeah." He goes, "What are you gonna call it?" I go, "Lemon Jail." He goes, "That's the greatest title I ever heard." I like, <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't, you know. Right there, you go. I, I couldn't change it. Yeah, predestined. Yeah, but it comes from you know you buy a crappy vehicle. It's a lemon. We were confined in a basically a crappy vehicle for long periods of time. The van against the band van. The band van. Yeah, that that the band called Bert. Really, it, it had a name. You know how people name their vehicles. Right. They like to do that, and uh, they called it. They called it Bert, which was also their alter alter ego of a band that was called Bert, and they'd all wear these T-shirts that said Bert, and they wrote Bert on the side of the van, and then they'd pull into town and they we'd go to a diner or whatever, and they'd say, "You guys a band?" They go, "Yeah, we're Bert," <laughs> and burnt, yeah. And uh, so in Westerberg, we were in like one of those interminable traffic jams, like you would know of in oh yeah, you know, hot trying to get from New York to Philly late for the gig or whatever, and you're just sitting there, and the thermostat's going to blow. It's always the thermostat. Yeah, right? right, right. Pull that thermostat out, you'll make it for at least another couple of days, you know? <laughs> Thanks. Paul used to say, one arm, call him one-arm Scotty. All the mechanics on the road, you know, they're always like, well, I can't fix that, but if you go see one-arm Scotty down the street, you know, there's right. always some Which guy. Which would be a great, great name for a band, too. <laughs> right. And we actually we actually had a guy in, in Canada with one arm fix our, uh, what's that belt? The, right. Uh, I know what you're talking about. It blew out, right? And, and this guy, it, it was amazing. He put the van up on the lift, and he took, like, a crowbars and he cranked that alternator over or whatever right and then he like stuck the thing under his chin like a violin player and he grabbed that belt and he put that thing on and he <laughs> tightened it up it, it was a, amazing and i was like paul wasn't there and i was like paul would love this there really is a one-armed scotty that'll fix your man you know it's like <laughs> but but uh yeah, he wrote, he was the one, he wrote, it's Paul's line, I stole it from Paul. Yeah. He, he wrote it on the, he used to graffiti the van, and the photo on the back of the Let It Be album, that's the photo I took of the inside of the van with the graffiti on it, which I wanted it to be a, I, I wanted to make my own postcards at that time. Mm-hmm. This is a little bit, that was my social media. Right. And so I would buy weird postcards and send them to people. And then I started to want to make my own. And so I said, well, I need a view of the road. So I took a picture of the wall of the van because that's like, that was my view of America. Right. The wall of the van. But he took out a pen and he wrote on the van door, Lemon Jail. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was so funny, man. Because it was, we were just in this van that, 
you're in this traffic jam and you don't know if this van is going to get you right. to exit nine, let alone Philadelphia. Right, <laughs> right. Know? Well, then there was a great story in the book where the, you ran out of gas, you couldn't make the U-turn, so you had to go get some gas, but you had to cut through a bad neighborhood. <laughs> and then you ended up, you, so you got the gas, you got the can. And, and then the guy that picked you up yeah. was knew the neighborhood, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah tell that like, story. It was, it's crazy. Yeah, well, it was, uh, well, Westerberg used to just, like, Westerberg, if you didn't like the tape you were playing or whatever, he would pop it out and just throw it out the window. Right? <laughs> right? So I had this Tom Waits tape. I mean, we, we used to make those mixtapes. Oh, right? yeah. Right? We'd put everything. So I had this Tom Waits mixtape of all my favorite Tom Waits. And, and uh, I mean, I'd seen Tom Waits. He was one of the first concerts I ever saw as a kid. You yeah. Know? So, and uh, so everybody was asleep. And Westerberg never slept. Never slept. Right. Sat, just sat there. Right. Next to you, you know. Never slept. And, uh, and didn't eat much either. No, Coke. didn't eat much. Yeah. Coke and cigarettes. Uh, fing Coke. Fingernails and cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> that was his dinner. Yeah. Yeah, he'd drink Coca-Cola and a coffee. He'd have a Coca-Cola and a coffee and a water. And a, he, like, ate fluids and then <laughs> sit there with a cigarette. And that was, like, breakfast. It's like... <laughs> but, uh, but he, I mean, he was... We were young, I mean. Yeah. But... Uh, Tell us about, you know, the one thing... Uh, in Mara's book, and you get a feel for it. Yours, you don't psych psychoanalyze the band. Yeah, I don't, got, make, I don't come to conclusions. That's I, that's my thing. Is I have no conclusion. Everybody wants to have. Everybody's got a thesis of what happened here. Right, right. I don't have that. I'm just saying what I saw. I got no conclusions about why they did or mm -hmm. didn't or like fear of success or yeah. I, you know, I you know I don't I don't have any conclusions. I know everybody wants to get to that conclusion. Right. I I I, I can't help. Bill, this was a it's a really a pleasurable chat with you. So good <laughs> seeing you again. Uh, I wish you the best of luck on your book. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you should definitely, man. You should hit all those places the replacements played and find a record store, a bookshop, or or a bar. Yeah, I'll and, see. And tell your story, sell some books. If someone invites me, I'd be honored to to do it. Um, yeah, the world owes me nothing, and uh, and I and I deserve whatever it gives me. And, and I mean, I just if I, I'm this the U of M, this whole thing, this experience with these people have changed me. Uh, the way I appreciate life and everything, you know, hmm. it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing, man. You, I mean, you know, all your life from creating, but yeah, uh, you know. Well, it's it's really a great piece of work. It's honest. It's and you don't get a lot of that in this world anymore. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Paul Sowie. We'd like to thank our guest, Bill Sullivan, author of Lemon Jail, On the Road with the Replacements. And I'd like to remind you, like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. <laughs>